sermon text is taken from John chapter 17. The whole chapter? When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, and your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and so... For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I, give, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me, I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. pray together as we come before the Lord this morning. 
Heavenly Father, we, in your presence now, just admit our weakness, our inadequacy. And Father, we are thankful that in our weakness we are made strong by your Spirit. We ask that you would open our hearts, our ears, our minds to this text as we hear the words spoken through Jesus from the Godhead this morning. May it be an encouragement, a delight for our souls, a challenge, a comfort. May it be a blessing to the weary heart this morning. We ask for your glory, for our edification, and for our joy in you. In your name, amen. Well, we have started a call a secondary sermon series this year. So we are going through Luke uh, with Mike on a mostly weekly basis, but then the secondary series that actually Josh McCarthy started uh, last month is called Prayers of the Bible. So we are taking some time to look at some of the prayers from the Old Testament and the New Testament and figure out what does it look like uh, when the Bible, people in the Bible are praying and how should we model our prayer after that. And what does that tell us about God and our relationship with him? So today we are in John 17. Uh, many refer to this passage as the high priestly prayer. Um, I just like to think of it as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, commonly, the Lord's Prayer is the uh, Our Father who art in heaven. Uh, that's kind of more of a recipe for the disciples. This is the prayer of Jesus to the Father. And there is much here for us to dive into and to absorb. Uh, if you're taking notes, just a three-piece simple outline for you to follow along. Uh, first, in verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. Number 2, verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for his disciples. And number 3, in verses 20 through 26, we will see Jesus pray for the church and for the world. So in our text here, John 17 comes right after John 16, um, a rather lengthy dialogue between Jesus and the apostles um, right at the tail end of the Last Supper. So the Passover meal, right at the end of that, but also right before Jesus would go to the Garden of Gethsemane and ultimately be betrayed by, Jusa, uh, by Judas. So somewhere between those two events is where we find our text Today Again, this is leading right up to that betrayal. Let me just read for us again quickly here, verses 1 through 5, uh, to help get us into the text. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, throughout the morning, uh, I will also be offering just some practical prayer tips. Again, one of the goals of this series is just for some practical insight on how we should pray. Um, I don't think any of us 
would be would honestly say uh, that we are a hundred percent comfortable with every word we communicate to God in prayer. And so hopefully this will be an encouragement uh, to you all as well to myself. But the first practical prayer tip, uh, always start prayer with God and his glory. Always start a prayer with God and his glory. So here is Jesus in John 17, again, between three years of faithful ministry and the three days of his death and ultimate resurrection. He had three years of world-altering, life-shattering, can't-believe-your-eyes miracles that no one other than Jesus could explain. We had water turned to wine, lame walking, blind receiving sight, uh, the dead brought back to life, food and feeding for the thousands and thousands of people. And every single miracle, every single word that Jesus spoke in his ministry had literally had led him to this specific point. You know, sometimes you hear athletes after winning a, a major championship say something like, you know, this is what I was born for. You know, I was, I was made for this right here. Well, Jesus was, was made, I mean, literally, he was conceived by the Spirit in the Virgin Mary for this moment. This is what everything was, was leading up to, and this moment for Jesus was his death. All of history, from the beginning of time, from creation, Adam and Eve, the Genesis story, pointed ahead to this moment, and all of the future yet to come would ultimately look back on this moment. One commentator put it this way. He said, this is God's appointed hour. His appointed hour. Let God's will be done. Indeed, he says, Jesus prays, that his Father will accomplish the purpose of the appointed hour. And as so often in Scripture, emphasis on God's sovereignty, as his appointed hour here, functions as an incentive to pray, not a, not a disincentive. So if you had the opportunity of a, of a lifetime before you, uh, a significant shot or a, a chance to, to change the world, to achieve your, your hopes and your dreams, to make a difference in the world, what are you going to do when that moment has come? Are you going to pull up your bootstraps? Are you going to go and look at um, some books or some blogs for some practical advice? I mean, this was Jesus' moment, his, his hour, and it led him to prayer. It led Jesus right to prayer. At the end of the day, our hope and our peace in our prayers is that God is, is sovereign. Sovereign, just so we're all aware, means that God is in control of the world around us, both to do and to work out his will. Uh, you could say God is behind the cosmic wheel of the universe. And because we know that God is behind the wheel, that gives us every reason to pray, to, to communicate him, or communicate with him, rather. You may have heard at the end of President Trump's time in office, uh, he was offering presidential pardons. And to no one's surprise, I'm sure the, the phones were literally ringing off the hook for people who were lobbying uh, potential pardons for friends, family, relatives, things like that. Because in some cases, the president can come in and declare an official pardon in light of a prior criminal offense, which 
specifically results in the dropping of those charges against the individual. So it's as if that offense has never happened when the president issues that pardon. If you know someone with that kind of power, that kind of control, you're going to reach out to them. And as a believer, when you know that the God of the universe hears your prayers, you take him up on his offer. Jesus here was, was ready for the glory to come, for the glory of the Father. I mean, just think for a moment. As, as Jesus, as part of the Trinity within the Godhead, all of the majestic glory, even existing before the world began, for ageless eons, holy splendor, only to lay down that glory and then take on human flesh for 33 years. It must have felt like an eternity to go without the glory that you previously had. And Jesus was, was looking forward to that glory and that majestic return. And he knew the only way to get there was to die. We continue on in verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, not for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. First we saw in that brief introduction that Jesus prays for himself, by extension, as God, he is praying to God. Second here, Jesus prays for his disciples. So in these verses, he's praying for his disciples, which leads us to our second prayer tip, is pray for the people in your context. Pray for the people in your context, or you could say in your, in your circles. We saw Jesus praying first to God, and from there, he moves outward onto the disciples, these 11 men who have kept his word, who have received him and, and believed his claim to be the Messiah. Now, this isn't saying that these men were perfect. It's not to say they didn't make many mistakes. It's also Jesus being aware that these men are going to desert him in even a few hours. But they have, at its essence, believed that Jesus was speaking truth. When he said, I am God made man. I am God in flesh. And they believed that. They took him at his word. You know, I have a handful of, of really close friends, some from my time at Boyce, um, a couple from my seminary days in San Francisco. And these guys have been with me for the most part, either in close proximity or even from a distance, through some significant life issues. They were th with me through various dating relationships and breakups. They were with me when my mom experienced her liver transplant. Uh, they were with me when I married my best friend, Rachel, and with me in the birth of our son, Judah. And each of these guys in particular has also met my family. They know my parents, my sister, my brother. So they don't just know me, they also, by extension, 
know my family, but to be sure they don't know my family as well as they know me. But because of me, because of our relationship, they have access to my family. They know them by name and likewise are known by name. When the disciples here decided to drop everything that they were doing and leave their own livelihoods behind in order to follow Jesus, they didn't realize they were getting a twofer. What's a twofer? It's a, a two for one, right? You're getting, you're paying for one thing, but you're actually getting two. It's like paying for one slice of pizza, getting two. But with Jesus, you're actually getting the whole pizza, getting so much more. So in becoming friends with Jesus of Nazareth, the disciples ended up becoming friends with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in a deep and, and meaningful way. And the disciples knew there was something unique about Jesus, but they were in for a big surprise when all of this would be said and done. And Jesus speaks about keeping these men. You know, if Jesus has kept you, it means that God has kept you. Look down at verses 13 and following. He says, I am coming to you, the Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they, the disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Not only did Jesus keep, keep his disciples, he protected them. Only Judas fell away, and scripture is clear that Judas never received Jesus' word, never believed on his claims to be the Messiah. Now today, there is a, a false understanding in the, in the culture around us. Something that says something along the lines of, true love is, is only protecting. It's, I show my love for you by keeping us, by keeping you from disagreement, from difficulty, from struggle, and by avoiding conflict and only showing absolute affirmation. However, in contrast to that, the love of Jesus does not lead him to remove his disciples from the world, to, to remove them from the very source of all of their troubles. All of their troubles would come from the world, and he's not about to remove them from that. Rather, he wants to sanctify them while in the middle of the storms of the world. Let me just say this as frankly as I know how. Jesus did not die so that we could have an easy life. He didn't die for our comfort. He didn't die so that we wouldn't have to experience pain and discomfort. He didn't die so that we could have the freedom and the autonomy to just make our own decisions and just enjoy our lives. Verse 19 says, For their sake, for the disciples' sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus here consecrates himself. Consecrate meaning he sets himself apart 
for a unique purpose, walking the path to his own physical death in order that his disciples, and as we'll see later by extension, us, could be sanctified. What is, what is sanctified? It means, again, to, to set something apart for a unique purpose. Often in the Bible it talks about setting it apart to be, to be holy. One commentator put it this way. He said, in practical terms, no one can be sanctified or set apart for the Lord's use without learning to think God's thoughts after him without learning to live in conformity with the world he has graciously given Christ. So in Christ we see our opportunity to think and to live and to experience life around us counter-culturally, in, in opposition to the world. And before you came to know the Lord, what were you? What, what was I? I, I was a sinner. I was unholy. I was dead in my sins, destined for hell, an eternity without God. And yet God reaches down into our world, and he says, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to set you aside for holiness and for my purposes. And not only am I going to give you life, I'm going to clothe you in my glory. And not only am I going to clothe you in my glory, but I'm going to invite you into my kingdom into heaven, not as a visitor, not as a, a tourist, but as a son and a daughter. I'm going to invite you into my heavenly family. Again, God's love is not meant to keep us from the world. It's meant to keep us for God. And the world can't claim you because God already has. And, and speaking of you, Jesus has a particular word for you here in our text. You know, have you ever found yourself just wishing if only, if only God would just say something to me directly? If only I would just have just some tangible, just a few sentences so I can know am I doing the right thing? Should I pursue this? Should I not pursue that? You know, there are the letters to the churches and Revelation, and I've often thought, oh man, if there was just a letter for Vine Street. Like, what if uh, if we could just know, like, we're doing great here, boom, 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 not doing great here, boom, 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 and we could just come around that, and it's so clear and so straightforward if we would find our unity in that. Just spell it out for us, Jesus. But he doesn't do that. But these words, in our final section, verses 20 through 26, we see Jesus praying for the church and the world. For the church, that means us. This prayer is for you and for me. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me and I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Here it is. Jesus' prayer for you. He prays for all of us thousands of years later. And our third practical prayer tip here is pray for people that you don't know. 
pray for people who will come after you. The closest thing that I can comprehend in this context of praying for someone that I, I don't know or who is maybe yet to be is praying for a young lady to marry Judah in the future. She may or may not be alive yet. She may or may not exist. I don't know the Lord's plans for him. But we pray for this young lady, just like I know my parents prayed for Rachel before they even knew her. And we pray for, for their salvation. And then this, this lady, if she's alive right now, she has no idea that we're praying for her. She has no idea. But we are still praying for that. And as Jesus here is saying a prayer for you, what does he pray? Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe. We see here that we may be one in God as God is in us so that the world would believe the gospel. Jesus' primary concern for you, the prayer he prayed for us, by extension, is that we would be one as brothers and sisters in Christ, reflecting the glory of the gospel. Our unity today in 2021, it is 2021, right? That feels so weird to say. Our unity today is meant to be a live broadcast to the world, proclaiming the gospel that was displayed 2,000 years ago. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And how has Jesus in particular expressed this love? Well, first, he loved the Father. He had love for the glory of God, which led him to, then by extension, love his disciples in his immediate context, which led him further to show his love to the world because the church is the physical manifestation. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And so in Jesus loving the disciples who would go out and, and spread the gospel, he spread his love to us even years later. So when the world sees the church, they should see the love of Jesus, his love for the lost, a love for the broken and weary, for the discouraged, for the outcast, for the immigrant, for the orphan and the widow. Every ounce of love revealed in Scripture from the first page of Genesis to the Amen of Revelation should always be oozing out of our, our churches. Have you, have you considered yourself an agent of God's love? Have you, have you thought about that? How you, as an individual, or how your family are the hands and feet of Jesus? Have you entertained the thought that you could be the touch of God's love in the life of your coworker, your neighbor? We all know that God loved the world, but too few of us realize that we are God's love to the world. Again, a commenter helps and putting it this way, the unity of the disciples as it approaches the perfection that is its goal serves not only to convince many in the world that Christ is indeed the supreme locus, the, the supreme object of divine revelation as Christians claim, 
but that Christians themselves have now been caught up into the love of the Father for the Son, secure and content and fulfilled because loved by the Almighty himself with the very same love he reserves for his Son. I mean, we can't read this passage and miss Jesus' love for the Father and the Father's love for the Son. I mean, every other sentence, it's just dripping with love within the Godhead. And that same love is offered to us. But it gets better. Jesus doesn't just, he doesn't just want our unity. He, he actually wants you. He wants you as a person. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Did you know that Jesus wants you to be with him? He wants you to be where he is. There's a book released recently called Gentle and Lowly, a phenomenal devotional style book focused on the, the heart of Jesus, understanding Jesus as, as gentle and lowly. And in it, the author seeks to examine again Jesus' heart for his, for his people. He says this, he, Jesus, wants us to draw strength from his love. But the only ones qualified to draw that strength are sinners who need undeserved love. And he doesn't just want us to be forgiven, he wants us. How does Jesus speak of his own deepest desires? Jesus' own deepest desires, he says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, may be with me. Oh, I pray that is encouraging for you this morning. Jesus desires. He, he's, not many of us are looking forward to our death. But Jesus is looking forward to the chance of being with us. He's anticipating that. There's joy in Jesus knowing that we will be with him when this life is complete. To live in supreme awe and wonder, Jesus went and he prepared a place for you. For you specifically as a believer. I hope that these words are strength and encouragement to you. You know, it's, it's really natural and sometimes feels really easy, most times I should say, to love Judah, my two-year-old son. I walked alongside Rachel. Uh, through nine months of pregnancy as a pure spectator. I was in the room where he was born, spent most of his life almost every day at his side. He bears my resemblance and Rachel's resemblance. He's our, he's our blood. He's a gift. He is one of the greatest priorities of, of our lives. And so, yes, of course, I love him. We love him. And on the other hand, I can't imagine loving one of you in the same way. 
first off, Judah is really cute, so you're at a disadvantage. But, but seriously, this, this is the love that Jesus has in mind for us. That we could love one another as a parent and their child. What? Sorry. That's crazy. Verse 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me, the Father's love to Jesus, may be in them. Wow. What a love. I am so easy to miss, so easy to forget. This wonderful love that we have been shown, that we have access to. I don't want to say that as a, as a discouragement. I want to encourage you, because even in our stumbling, even in our wandering, in our repentance, that love is always there, and it never changes, and it doesn't fade. It's not based on what you did yesterday or what you'll do tomorrow. The true love of the Father for Jesus is here for you every day of your life, if you have put your trust in him. Cling to that love. As we come to the end of our text here, we see two magnificent realities. First, again, just a, a practical recipe for prayer from the words of Jesus. One theologian put it this way. He said, as you review this prayer, you see the spiritual priorities that were in the Savior's heart the glory of God, the sanctity of his people, the unity of the church, the ministry of sharing the gospel with the lost world. And today we would be wise to focus on these same priorities. Indeed, we would be wise to model our prayers after Jesus, who prayed such a prayer on our behalf. And second, finally, we see a glimpse of the love of God. God's love began with himself as the supreme being. It was extended through the life of Jesus on earth, who then gave it to the disciples, who would be responsible for starting the mission of the church, for, for lighting the match that would turn to a flame, the first missionaries of his gospel. And they told someone about the love of God, and that person believed. And then they went and told someone else, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on, until someone told you. Maybe it was a parent, maybe a preacher, or a teacher. As believers, we can trace our spiritual family tree back to Jesus himself. And this is a wonderful and great love to us. So let's keep the line going. Be the one who shows someone else God's love so that they can continue this wonderful family tree, the kingdom of God. Let's pray.
gracious God. You are so kind to us, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We are so, so frail, so weak, so quick to forget. Father, help us to put our eyes on you, to see this great love with which you have loved us, and to feel the purpose of that love. Lord, it is a love that you have given to us that we would share. We're not meant to, to keep it and to hide it, Lord. We are meant to give and to show that world, that love to the world around us. We cannot do this on our own. We know that you can do this. We trust that you are working all things to your good and to your glory. And we want you to do this. Father, we offer ourselves to you as, as living sacrifices. Would you reorient our desires, our, our goals, and our ambitions? May everything that we hope to accomplish in this world be intrinsically tied with what we could do for your kingdom and for your glory. And would you take more and more of our pride away as we remember that a life lived for you is worthwhile, but a life lived for ourselves will fade and be forgotten. Give us the strength for each day we ask in your name.